0: We're actually going to be in this series, like I said earlier, uh, in the Gospel of John. And So I'd encourage you, whether that's on your phone, in an app, whether it's in one of the Bibles that are around the room, or if you brought your own, or if you're there at home, uh, to go ahead and flip to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in that first chapter quite a bit today. But before we do that, I want us to take a moment and to imagine something. I want us to imagine for a moment, and hopefully we have to imagine this, we cannot recalling this, I want us to imagine for a moment that we are drowning. What goes through your head? Desperation, panic, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of fear. And hopefully, again, that's an exercise where you're imagining something, you're not remembering something. But I would bet that even for those of us who just have to imagine it, we have a pretty good idea of what it would feel like. Because there's this aspect of life where we aren't necessarily literally drowning, but we have the sense all the same. It's almost a metaphorical situation. We know what it's like to be in over our head, to be overwhelmed, to be desperate, to to be in a place, to be in a sense where where we do not feel like we belong. And we feel as though everyone's going to find out. Maybe this has happened for you professionally. You were in a spot in a new job or you were promoted and you realize that you're out of your depth. You didn't have a clue and, and all of a sudden people are looking to you for answers or decisions. I remember that first time out of college, uh, the only time out of college, the first time uh, my first job, my first real job in the real world, I was this, I was a youth pastor and I was in charge of this group of sixth graders through twelfth graders, middle schoolers and high schoolers. And I inherited this great ministry with awesome kids and volunteer leaders who were much older than me and had real world jobs and experience and they actually gave me a budget, which was i didn't have a personal budget let alone have to know how to deal with a church budget i was suddenly responsible we would advertise for camp or ski trip and kids would show up and they would get in a van and they would let me the 22 year old drive them over there and yes there were speeding tickets involved and that is not a fun call to make to parents but i was suddenly in charge or maybe you know that feeling of being in over your head about the time that you found yourself responsible for another life. Now, obviously that's true when you become a parent, but, but maybe for you it is when you got a pet. And I'm not one of those people that equates those, but it, having a pet is still a huge responsibility. You got that cat, you got that puppy, and you bring them home, and probably in the first 48 hours, at least one part of your brain is thinking, what's the return policy on this sucker? How can, how can I get I'm so overwhelmed I'm gonna get out of this and I definitely know that feeling particularly with our first child When they came into our room after Heidi had done all this incredible work brought this miracle of life into the world had just Just this incredible just awe-inspiring thing and they say, okay, mr. and Mrs. Tandy you're ready to go home and we left without any supervision I remember that feeling with that new baby. I remember those feelings when I was overwhelmed with this new thing, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in over my head. Or maybe for you, right now, you find yourself in over your head. You're in the job search. Something unexpected had happened, a tragedy, an illness. Finances got really tight, and you had to find a way to make ends meet. Maybe it was when you went back to school after being in the workforce. Maybe it was that moment where you got off the bus at boot camp. Maybe it was for you those, those times in which a relationship unexpectedly fell apart or someone left you having to put it all back together. It feels like you're drowning. There's a sense of panic, the sense of overwhelming fear, a sense of desperation. You have no idea how you're going to do the thing that you know you should do but have not even a clue how to get there. In those moments, what do you do? In those moments when you're afraid, in those moments when you're fearful, when you're overwhelmed, when you're desperate for help, you, you don't know how to get from A to B, and you know what Z looks like, but you have no idea how you're going to get there. What do you do? For me, when I'm in those spots, I, I try to kind of break things down into manageable pieces, right? I try to get them in a place where I say, if I can do this, then I can do that. And so I got to attack that first issue. I kind of break it down into more simplistic I break it down to the basics and not like the cliched image of a coach talking about how you have to get back to fundamentals Or maybe it was your dad or maybe it's you who sit there on the couch and say oh They don't teach fundamentals anymore or whatever that might be. It's not like that I'm talking about getting back to the true things the foundational things what really matters as a new parent, you get back to the, fu- the fundamentals, you get back to the basics where you say, well, my job, the most basic elemental thing I have to do is keep this thing alive, right? Does it, does it matter about your personal hygiene? Does it matter about your own diet? Does it matter about how much screen time you have or what have you? I remember we brought Isaac home. The 2012 uh, London Olympics were going on and we sat down on that couch and watched handball because that's all that was on during the day. We'd find ourselves in the middle of the night watching reruns of the previous things that had happened just because we were just trying to keep that kid alive. When we're in that spot when we're really overwhelmed we have to do the next right thing in the face of a hard diagnosis for yourself or someone else you don't have to hide you can't put the energy into thinking about the eventualities you can't think about the recovery time you can't think about the rehabilitation you can't think about all the treatments you got to think about what's next how do i get through the next thing how do I come back to the source the thing that matters the most how do I how do we distill things down and say this is what? matters How do we come to that place and say this is the one thing we have to worry about this is the one thing in life that we have to focus on The next 15 weeks we're going to try to answer that question in the next 15 weeks, we're going to be setting up shop in the Gospel of John. Now first, before we start, before we dive into that, a few things best we can tell from clues in the text best we can tell from church history and even legend and things that have gotten passed on and kind of the oral tradition of things we think that john was incredibly young when he first became an apostle a disciple of jesus he was probably a young man or even a teenager the first time that jesus came to him and his brother james when they were fishermen and said come follow me These sons of Zebedee It appears that John is the younger brother It also appears that John writes the gospel that has his name And he writes this gospel with at least some knowledge of Matthew, Mark, and Luke And intentionally tells a story of Jesus from his own unique perspective Now I personally think and there's all kinds of different takes on this But I think that John wrote this in the early 60s of that first century he writes this before the romans come in and destroy the temple and the other three gospels matthew mark and luke were at least written or at least they were out there and john had at least some knowledge of them but some 30 years after good friday after easter that first easter i think john is realizing he's looking around and saying suddenly i'm the old guy suddenly i'm the eyewitness that's left suddenly i'm the one that has this responsibility i think he's in over his head i think he's overwhelmed with this i think he doesn't know what else to do and he realizes that he's got to get down on paper he's got to have some sort of legacy he's got to get this message this gospel this announcement out there So he writes his gospel and we see in John chapter 20 his kind of big thesis his big kind of thing This is my goal here in John chapter 20 verse 38 John writes But these are written the summation statement the second-to-last chapter of the gospel says but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So let's start with that. John writes his gospel for a specific reason. He's not a biographer. He's not a journalist. He's not a historian. He is writing the story of Jesus in his life from his own perspective as he experienced it for the express purpose that we may believe. John has an agenda here. John is trying to communicate something. I think he's in over his head That's a personal pet theory, but I think he is in over his head and he's trying to figure out. What do I do? What do I say so that people may believe and he opens up John chapter 1 and he begins this incredible story of Jesus A story that's about glory of God, of the love of God. It's a story about who God is and who Jesus is and the mission that Jesus came to begin. And with clarity and incredible imagery and contrast between light and dark, with humor, with absurdity, he communicates this story. And so in John chapter 1, we begin his gospel. Starting at verse 1, feel free to follow along. has not overcome it there's a lot here in these first five verses and i'm not going to talk about everything but there's a lot here and i was reminded of just how penetrating this is when i forgot about it when i was asked a question by my six-year-old the other day that's how much it stuck with me but my daughter comes up to me and says how old is jesus how old is jesus I, you know, I'm, i classically like, oh, I'm going to give her this answer and all this. Like, I missed the point, right? So I, so I step into this. I said, well, Clara, best we can tell that Jesus wasn't born at year one or year zero or whatever. He was actually born in 3 BC. And that's just kind of the date and the calendar, the way that worked out. So probably he's about 2,023 years old. And she looks at me and asks for a snack or something else. We go on. But I missed this idea this truth that john has here in these first five verses that jesus is actually eternal That jesus is the word another way to look at that is source. He's the thing behind the thing. He's the animating spirit. He is it And he was with god the word jesus the source was with god at the beginning See john starts his gospel very different than the other three you know, Luke starts with the birth narrative, right? Luke talks about the Christmas story. He talks about John the Baptist's birth and Jesus' birth. Mark kind of ties it to prophecy and says, look how everything is pointing to this, and this is all preordained. Matthew does this like genealogical study and says, this is where Jesus has come from, and that tells us so much. John does something different, very unique. He goes all the way back The beginning. He uses this Greek word that we translate as word that might be better understood as source, that thing behind the thing, the thing that holds it all together, the thing that really matters. See John comes and he's trying to make it as clear as possible that this Jesus is God come to earth I love the metaphor that Jesus is the son of God. That's a biblical metaphor. That's a true Statement, but I think something else that's true that sometimes is more helpful at least for me is to say that Jesus is God Come to earth. I think that's what John is trying to say He's telling his Greek readers those with that Greek background That this is the source of life that they're trying to understand and communicate through philosophy He tells the jews that this is the jesus that isn't something new is tied and coming back all the way To creation jesus is light jesus is here jesus is god Verse six There was a man sent from god whose name was john He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light now john the apostle is writing about john the baptist jesus cousin John the Baptist is pointing forward. He was this incredible leader this prophetic voice He was the one that set up shop in the desert and would baptize people would dunk them in the Jordan River Saying let this be a moment a signifier that you are now clean You are now moving forward into something better. Jesus goes to him and says, You must baptize me because this is important to say yes to this, but i'm also doing something so much bigger than this So this john the baptist It's important, but in John's gospel, he's just one piece that points forward. John's gospel kind of pulls you in, makes you kind of lean forward like, well, what's he pointing to? What is he testifying to? John continues, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him Yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name He gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God somehow somehow God becomes man Somehow God comes close Somehow God bridges that gap so that we can be understood and that we can understand God And he comes not just for a select few or a certain group, he comes for all. John continues, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, the message translates this. He says that God moves into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of of grace and truth. We've seen this clear. We'll see this clarified in the verses below but but don't miss this the word the source This Jesus comes close to announce put on display the glory of the Creator God The glory of God is this this idea that cannot begin to be be fathomed. It's this this, this, this huge Immense thing. How do you understand how big God is? How do you understand how powerful God is? That's the glory of God and the glory of God comes close The Glory of God something that no one has ever seen before something that mortal people can't see comes close John testified concerning him he cried out saying this is the one I spoke about when I said he who comes after me has Surpassed me because he was born. He was before me out of his fullness We have all received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So there's the first 18 verses of John. John kind of looks back and says that, that Jesus is God, that Jesus was there at the beginning, that, that Jesus is a piece of God come to earth, to full, bringing the full glory of God. He, he points out that the law and Moses, these Old Testament gifts, these Hebrew scriptures that are gifts, says this was great, but it was incomplete, and I've come to complete it. See, John introduces these big things that we'll come back to over and over again, these, these, op- uh, these opposing forces of light and dark, of, of glory and love that go in tandem and also in tandem identity and mission. See, I think he's trying to be clear here. I think he's trying to be crystal clear about what's going on. That Jesus as God has come close to reveal the fullness of the glory of God. To call all people to him. To pour out his love. To pour out his love for all. See, this is the heart of things for John. This is the source. This is the foundational thing. This is the thing behind the thing that ties it all together. For John, this is all that matters. See, John is asking this incredibly important question that cuts to the issue simple question do you know the source do you know the source see john is laying out this is who jesus is do you know him this is the power and majesty of jesus that can be known by anyone do you know him do you know the source i think there are these moments in life These moments in life where you are just abruptly taken from childhood to adulthood. For some of us, it's gradual and it's a process. But I think for others, there are these events, these triggers that force us into adulthood. Maybe it's when we got married and moved out on our own. Maybe it's when we started having to pay bills. Maybe it's when we were looking for a job the first time. When we enlisted, we had kids, something like that or maybe it was an event outside of yourself it was an event outside of yourself that you always look back as a defining moment that kind of kind of woke you up that that kind of kind of shook you and you will always remember that moment for me I, i think it was 9 11. i think it was september 11th i was I was 17, I was 18, I was, I was trying to figure things out in life, I was just on the precipice of, going, of graduating high school and going into my senior year and then going into college, and I think that was the moment where I was like, okay, no, this is real. For John, I think the defining moment is when he witnesses the crucifixion. In the resurrected Jesus he's probably a young man. He might still be a teenager at this point and he witnesses this the source the most important thing in his life his teacher his rabbi who he's been following around probably for three years at this point learning seeing everything being a witness to all this and then they kill him. And then he comes back to life. For John, I think that is the defining moment. So when he is overwhelmed, when he feels like he doesn't have a clue of how to move forward, he comes back to the source. He comes back to that moment that woke him up. He talks about the light of the world coming in and the darkness that is all around. What what better metaphor for the cross? What better metaphor for Good Friday is darkness, feeling as though it's oppressive, but the light with the light still being there and darkness has not overcome it and he writes these things he writes them so that we may believe so here's the challenge i'm giving myself as we go through this gospel here's the challenge i'm giving to you as we go through this gospel it'd be really easy for us just to focus on what john's talking about in terms of what happened in the story of jesus It'd be easy for me, I enjoy talking about the the greater implications and the nods to the Old Testament and what was going on in that moment, how the original audience might have heard this. I love talking about that stuff. But the challenge that we have to hold on to as we talk about those incredibly important things of narrative and implications thereof, we have to also say, what about us? Because the Gospel of John is this open-ended question of do you know the source? And it makes you lean in. It makes you ask what else is going on here it makes us ask what is really happening here because it's so easy for us to hear the story say that's nice for other people and miss that this is personal see i want to be about helping people find and follow jesus my problem is that sometimes i forget that just talking about jesus isn't necessarily helping people find and follow jesus that just doing things isn't necessarily helping people and so in this series i want to keep coming back to this idea and asking this question why does it matter and the central question that john is asking is do we know the source so we know that feeling of being in overhead we know that feeling of being overwhelmed but that feeling as though we are drowning if you feel that if you felt that i would tell you to listen to john when he asked Do you know the source to pay attention to what the source is doing then and in our lives now? So I have three three suggestions for you and I'd love for you to pick one that fits you That you can say what does this mean for me? Because maybe you need to start at the source Maybe for you, you need to start at the source. Maybe you're, you're new to, to following Jesus, new to the idea of, of considering Jesus. Maybe you're coming back after a long absence. You grew up in the church or had exposure to that, and you're kind of coming back, and you're saying, okay, I, I want to be serious about my faith, but I don't know how. I don't know where to start. I would tell you to start at the source. If you aren't familiar with the Bible, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're intrigued, I would tell you to start at the, the source. Start with jesus i'd encourage you to read the gospel of john, of john along with us Or to start a bible reading plan or take up a spiritual practice like prayer. Those are all great things But maybe you need to start small In this prologue, I think john is trying to entice us He lays out how god comes as jesus that god moves into the neighbor and forces us to ask What are you up to? God, what are you up to here? Jesus, what are you about? So maybe for you, starting at the source is praying that simple prayer every day, maybe every morning, God, what are you up to? Jesus, what are you up to in my life? Or maybe for you, that that feeling of being overwhelmed is all too real at this moment. And you're like, yeah, I would love to start something at the source, but I I, I can't get a breath. I can't can't even find my way through the day. Life isn't handing you hard things. Life is dropping them off the roof onto your head they're piling up and you're exhausted you are fried you are done so maybe for you starting at the sources this i can't do that so maybe for you you need to find refuge in the source one of the interesting things about the book of john is just how many parties there are there's these big dinners and jesus invites people in and the water to wine miracle happens at a wedding It's, it's here in john there's all this talk about how Jesus is always going to Jerusalem to celebrate another festival, another, another, another holiday, Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles or Hanukkah. He's, Jesus is always going to parties because that's the, the truth of following Jesus. It is not something of drudgery. It's not something of, of just sheer discipline. No, you will celebrate things. One of the commands is you will take a day off. You will honor these things because God recognizes that we have to be people that aren't just defined by what we do our output not just defined by how we spend our energy no 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 we have been created for relationship and so we must rest you will rest so maybe you need to find refuge in the source you need to find rest and refuge in the truth that following jesus means that your burden should be light and the way and the path of following jesus is open to you we all feel pressure from life But don't feel pressure from God because that's not God. If you feel guilt and shame, that's not of God. Does God challenge? Does God push us? Absolutely. But God does not make us feel less. God does not make us say that we are worthless. God says there is more. There is potential here. Don't feel pressure from God because in Jesus there is refuge. And there's an incredible party. So Maybe we need to start with the source. We need to start there. Maybe we need to find refuge in the source or maybe We're kind of looking ahead Maybe for you 2020 was survival and you realize maybe there's now light at the end of the tunnel and you're starting to look ahead You have no idea what's gonna happen you have no idea how things are gonna play out, but you recognize That there might be something there maybe for you there needs to be some sort of seeking hope in the source This source this Jesus is always looking ahead always bringing in people to be part of this new way of being human It's always inviting. There's always another seat at that table at that banquet Jesus is always giving hope and a future to people. Jesus is always calling people forward into something better and something greater Not necessarily by how we would define it but how how he defines it See the glory of God did not show up as Jesus merely to put on a show Merely to say, look at this, look at me. Not merely just to put together some philosophical teachings that still hold up to today. Not, not just merely to, to do things that, that kind of, just to poke uh, the, the authorities and the powers that be in the eye. No, Jesus came up to announce something new. So maybe you need to prayerfully dream at the source. You need to ask Jesus about the direction of your life. You need to ask Jesus, okay, what is next for me? And how am I supposed to do it? In my work, in my life, in my relationships, in all of those things. How am I supposed to go forward here? Maybe you need to start at the source. Maybe you need to find refuge at the source. Or maybe you need to find some hope at the source. Because the gospel, in particular this gospel of John, was written so that you may believe. It would be a failure. It would be a failure if we were exposed to the Gospel of John and didn't ask ourselves, do I believe? It would be a misreading. It would be intellectually dishonest. It would be, it'd be an error to say, to not ask ourselves that question. And I'm not just talking to those of us who have never said yes to Jesus. I'm not talking just to those of us who consider ourselves an unbeliever and say that we are not a follower of Jesus. I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to all of us. Because God comes close as Jesus. God can somehow identify with our lives and our world and our context. God models a better life for us. God removes barriers and says, no, 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 anyone and everyone can come close to me. And God invites all in. And this invitation goes on and on and on. So whether you've never said yes to Jesus or you've done it for a long, long time, The gospel of john forces us to ask this question do i know the source do i know this jesus and john the most famous verse ever in the whole bible says that god sent his only son for love so that all may believe no one may be condemned when we say yes to Jesus, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to understand everything. Our life is probably, and I would almost guarantee you, still a mess. And we come to that place where we say yes. that Jesus, I do believe that you were God come to earth. Jesus, I do believe that you taught all those things and performed all those miracles. Yes, Jesus, I do believe that you went to that cross in some miraculous, mind-blowing way, died there but came back to life three days later. And I believe that you're not done. We say yes to that. We say yes to that. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to get situated here for a time of communion. And in this time of communion, we celebrate. We say yes to Jesus. I love the, the, the ways in which that we, can, we can come to the altar. We can't come to the altar. We can approach God. And when we take communion... We take these little pieces of bread or these little cups of juice or whether you're at home and you've got, a, got some crackers and got some milk or whatever. That, it all counts. It's all good. And what we do in this moment is we say yes to Jesus. We say that I want to be connected to the source. And what we do here at Movement, we try to be really, really clear about this. And so maybe this is repetitive, but it's still important. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, not whether or not you're a member of some church or you've been here so long or you do whatever, or whatever, all that's good and great and fine, but that's not what this is about. If you're a follower of Jesus and maybe you're making that decision right now, this is for you. So whether you're home or in this room, I'd invite you to do this. To take your bread, to take your cracker, to take whatever you have and say this is the body of Jesus broken for me? And to that I say yes. In the same way, take your cup of juice, take your water at home, take this little cup of juice here, and say, This is the blood of Jesus shed for me. And to that I say yes. Because when John comes and he gives us this incredible gift of the gospel, i think he was overwhelmed i think he didn't know how to lead he was put in this place and he wasn't prepared for it he looked around and said what do i do i come back to the source and he asked this very simple question do you know do you know this jesus because he wrote that so that you may believe he wrote that so that you may believe let's pray God as we worship, as we pray, as we consider, and especially in those moments when we feel overwhelmed, we feel like we're drowning in life. We feel as though there is not a way forward. We ask, we, we, we humbly ask that you would show us how to come to the source, how to come to you, Jesus, how to come to your word, your spirit, your truth and receive that and maybe it starts with just a simple prayer jesus i'm saying yes to you i'm saying yes to you i don't have it all figured out i don't know what's next but right now right here i say yes to you and whether you've said that before or this is the first time god receives it god accepts it thank you thank you father amen